Douglas Goldstein, E-Futurist. We're live at HIMSS 17. It's Wednesday. I have Rick Crone, one of the leading thought leaders around emerging technology. What, connected health, mobile health? E-health. Virtual health, virtual health. And you got several talks today, but Rick, tell us kind of a bit about you, and then uh, let's talk about your talks today. Well, let's start at the beginning. About 20 years ago, I was a new employee at, working directly for Douglas Goldstein, and I can, <laughs> I can never thank him enough for helping me get established in this industry. I've since moved on to health IT consulting, and as a means of promoting the practice and establishing myself as sort of a luminary in the field, I've written several books. Fortunately, those books have been published by HIMSS, the first in 2012 on mobile healthcare. Moving on from the concept of mobile health to connected health, the book that Doug is holding in his lap is, a, is uh, just been published at this conference, uh, and it is on the topic of connected health. It's a contributed book, so we have a variety of uh, healthcare luminaries from across the spectrum of healthcare talking about how connected health is being implemented you know, in their practices, in their enterprises, or on a population health basis. So how is this different than the mobile health book? What evolved from your, <clears throat> the mobile health book that I contributed to uh, a couple years back? Well, our contention is that uh, you know, there's, there's been three phases of you know, connected health. The first was in the 90s when it was all about just connectivity. The second phase was about mobility, which was in the mid-00s. And now we're talking about the personalization of health. And our books have sort of traversed the same path, talking about how healthcare has moved from being an enterprise and a siloed um, sort of phenomenon to being more personable, more personal, more retail, more consumer-oriented. And this book sort of illustrates that through several case studies about wearables, about things like virtual health or virtual healthcare, and about the ways that the consumer becomes more integrated and more engaged in healthcare. So what's the biggest takeaway or the biggest insight you think from this book relative to the enterprise challenge of going from a business-to-business -business wholesale industry to a direct-to-consumer industry? I think it's, it, it, you know, if you want to kind of sort of an umbrella concept, I think it's about the whole calculus of healthcare is changing. So the, the patient is becoming more in, in, embedded into the whole circle of care delivery. The patient is becoming more accountable for their own healthcare. And the patient is less the person, of the sort of the end of the loop in healthcare and more sort of the central figure in healthcare. Um, so what are, the, what are the key recommendations that you would share with healthcare executives trying to make the transition from just dealing directly with payers and with consumer responsibility and out-of-pocket increasing and moving to this whole next generation of uh, person empowerment and shift of risk to providers and patients? Well, traditionally, healthcare has been kind of hidebound, and I think that there has to be sort of a real sort of evolution in thinking about how healthcare is going to occur in the future. There's a lot of talk about hospitals becoming just basically acute care and you know, uh, you know, ER, you know, emergency rooms in the future, and how healthcare is going to occur in such different ways that there won't be a need for bricks and mortar the way that they have that today. I'm not suggesting that that's going to happen overnight, or, or suggesting that there's not a need for enterprise level physical structures to conduct healthcare. What I am suggesting though is that healthcare is simply going to occur differently in the future. It's going to occur differently because there are means to personalize, to sort of um, create healthcare mechanisms, tools like a, a Fitbit that I'm wearing right now, or channels of communication that allow the patient to actually be involved in healthcare when they're not sitting face-to-face -face with a physician, and healthcare um, mechanisms that allow patients to become more proactive, more accountable, and hopefully more preventive in their terms of healthcare maintenance. 
So I do a lot of work in personalized health, the intersection of wearables, uh, electronic health, uh, omic data, with the Innova Center for Personalized Health. So we're on the forefront of that. The challenge that I think health systems have is that all our systems are structured for transactions. Right. We've trained everybody, the reimbursement, so follow the money. And still, despite all the conversations about value, less than five to 10% of the actual risk is shifted to providers in value-based agreements. So we're stuck with infrastructure trained for transactions, organized for transactions, and we're trying to move to a value world and longitudinal outcomes of events because what happens to somebody after a knee replacement depends on what they do. Do they gain weight? Do they have physical therapy? It's not just the surgery and the doctors. Right. So I think the biggest person left out of the whole equation of shared savings is the person. Right. They're not participating. And they're at the, they're, if there's closed loop communication, they're at the end of the loop. There's two things that, that might serve as sort of the engine of change. One is, Doc, Doug, as you mentioned, is follow the money. So if payers, if the people who are actually footing the bill, you know, determine that there's a, a value in sort of shifting, you know, responsibility and accountability from the provider onto the patient, and the patient is incented to actually become more accountable, I think you'll see that there's there's more of a, a less of a an enterprise focus to healthcare and more of a personalized focus. The second is healthcare is becoming more retail. And that's no more is that uh, obvious than in you know sort of the wearables market, where you know the biggest uh, the biggest uh, source of revenue for wearables right now is on the consumer side, health and fitness people who are you know the health conscious, and that has you know sort of a uh, um, an adjunct value to healthcare delivery in that it's making the person you know that the patient is more of a healthcare consumer than a patient at this point. So those are, I think are the, the two big drivers. But I would. I would um, acknowledge that you know healthcare is you know the dinosaur of you know technology delivery. There's I, I wouldn't consider or describe healthcare as being at the forefront of innovation. So there there is a cultural issue as well. Well, I think we have a couple tracks of innovation. I, I think that health and medical care has adopted a lot of innovations, and we, I think we have to separate clinical innovations terms of minimally invasive surgery and even minimally, minimally invasive surgery and early EROS, early ambulation of patients from technology. And the problem is the re regulations and reimbursement systems, uh, and we had uh, you know one of the leading telemedicine companies here, the regulations of doctors in every 50 states. So we have a number of barriers and hurdles in implementing certain information technologies. Uh, well, so what's your recommendation to the, po we're, we're about to change policy, so what's your recommendation to uh, the Republicans and Democrats and leaders on the Hill who are going to flip the apple cart again in healthcare policy? And, that, and there's a real concern there because, you know, what replaces what we have right now? So is, it's, is it going to sort of, you know, flip back to, you know, high level, you know, top down enterprise, you know, led, you know, healthcare delivery? Or is, you know, is there just going to be, you know, block grants given to the states, you know, from which they decide, you know, what, where the most value can be distilled. I don't know. I mean, that, that, have, that remains to reveal itself. But also, you know, to your point, um, Doug, I think that there needs to be, you know, some sort of, you know, path of connectivity between traditional healthcare delivery, the way the systems that we have in place, the infrastructure that we have, and what's rapidly emerging, which is a new sort of, you know, cultural shift in the way that, you know, healthcare you know, engagement occurs. It's not necessarily in a physician office. It's not necessarily in the, in the emergency room. You know, it's, it may be happening more at a distance. It may be happening in the home. 
you know, maybe in, in um, facilities that you know now don't require as much intensity as a, as a hospital, let's say. So do you see uh, health systems and physician leaders really moving from transaction to relationships? Not, I mean, kicking and screaming. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, physicians by and large are not entrepreneurial. They are not pioneers. So I, I wouldn't suggest that, you know, they're leading the charge, they're not. But if you can provide incentives to physicians to be more proactive in, you know, and again, we're talking about value-based care. But if you can, if, and getting away from, and you know, if, if they rely on transactions, if they rely on fee-for-service, there is no incentive. But if there is a value in, you know, you know performance-based measurement, if you, you know, physicians can be incented to keep people out of their offices, yes, there's a real opportunity here to, and, and this is on a population basis. You know, you can do it with chronic care. You can do it with people who are in, you know, remote areas or specific populations. But I think that there are ways that, you know, physicians, even hospitals can be incented and, you know, it's, you know forget ACA or, or you know, ACOs for, for the time, for the moment. But if there are ways, at, you know, on it, on it, at a high level through CMS or through Humana or, th or through people who are actually footing the bill to, you know, to incent providers to you know, kind of deliver care in new ways such that it's not retrospective, it's not reactive, it's not treatment, it's, you know, diagnostic and, you know, forward-leaning and, you know, preventive. No, we need data to support the move to value and outcomes. But I believe that, and I interact with a lot of physicians that are doing the right thing to the detriment of their financial right. incentives. I have a lung cancer surgeon who's been um, following patients for nine years relative to recurrences and whatever. He's not reimbursed for that, but it's the right thing to do right. for patients. So I think that we have many, many physician leaders who recognize that they're caught in, in an old reimbursement, follow the money system, and we really need policy change, but we also need data to support those value and outcomes and it, so you know, that we know how to really price uh, a longitudinal episode of care. You know, and that's the, um, you know, that's the Achilles heel of healthcare, is that you know, we are sort of stuck in a reimbursement system that doesn't value innovation or entrepreneurship or you know, the, you know, answering a higher calling in terms of you know, providing services. The second thing is that, you know, and I, I don't want to, um, uh, to, to you know, misrepresent physicians in any way. There are physicians who are, you know, you know, drawn by a higher calling that do feel that they need to provide services that may or may not, that may not be reimbursed. So I, I do want to make that point. The second thing is when we talk about data, uh, Doug, you know, that too, that is a double-edged sword too because there's a real danger that by creating um, you know, channels of data communication, you know, physicians particularly can become overwhelmed. And they already complain about that. You know, what information do they really need? How much of it is relevant? You know, what, how much of it is simply adding layers of complexity to their practice? And I don't think we've, we've kind of noodled through that and kind of figured out what the, you know, how to smooth out the, you know, the rough edges of data. I agree that we need to have you know, data-driven you know, uh, you know, decision-making, but at the same time, I think that we have to be wary of creating too much data. Well, I think the, <clears throat> the data overload to the care team and the doctor can be handled with um, artificial intelligence or machine learning in the cloud relative to priorities and what in the context of a certain patient care. But let's, um, what's your favorite chapter in here and how do people get the book? because uh, there's a lot of insights that we talked about that will guide people forward in terms of navigating how to apply technology to create a connected ecosystem, correct? My favorite chapter was written by Rick Crone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and it's it's actually a, a something. It's mine too. It's yeah. It's <laughs> actually the the chapter I wrote on uh, virtual reality because it is very forward leaning and it's very um, you know sort of uh, its perspective and it sort of kind of heralds in this you know new era of you know technology driven um, care. Um, as far as the book itself, um, it's available on Amazon, um, but it can be purchased at the Hims Bookstore uh, or through CRC Press. So that's Connected Health. And uh, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, my, my email address is rkron, R-K-R-O-H-N, at healthsend, healthsend.com. Uh, my practice is healthsense, healthsend.com. So I encourage you to contact me. And your Twitter handle is? It's at Rick Crone. You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.